0: I would prefer that everything would be a win-win-win in life, where it's like my business, my work, my play is all the same thing. So I tell everyone, they're like, what do you do? I'm like, oh, of course, I'm known as like a copywriter or something. I'm like, I put around on the internet all day and somehow get paid. Mm-hmm. And so when people always ask, if you had a trillion dollars, what would you do? My answer is, "It probably just like browse Reddit a lot, <laughs> like I would post stuff on Twitter. It was the exact same thing I do right now.
1: Choose to do what you want, what you want, with who you want, with who you want, when you want, when you want, with another episode today. Now, here's your host, Brian Lubin. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Action Academy podcast, the show where we help you get rich, happy and free with a capital F in your life and business. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a lot of real estate entrepreneurs on this show, a lot of real estate investors. So I am beginning to bring in some people from outside of the real estate world to give you guys different examples of different paths to take two millions of dollars per year in revenue, two millions of dollars per year in income to ultimate freedom. Because some people will slip into the excuse that they don't have the money to begin in real estate investing or they don't have the money to buy businesses. So they use this as an excuse to not get started. So today's episode is going to completely eradicate that excuse once and for all because today's guest is able to make millions of dollars per year with his copywriting business online. And this is something that anybody can do for zero money. Neville Medora has built multiple online businesses with zero money of his own, where he was able to build a skill set, implement it online, scale it through marketing, through organic content, and build a large following and a lot of dollar signs. Today, we dissect a couple of these businesses. We talk about copywriting in general, the art of copywriting, the business of copywriting, and in the end, we go into branding strategies. Neville is used to add commas to his income that he can generate anywhere in the world. As always, if you're enjoying this content, please share this episode with a friend or family member that you believe would get value from it. And also, we had two people this week in the Action Academy community leave their W-2s, leave those 9-5s to to go do their own thing full-time this week. They rang the bell. Shout out to Robert. Shout out to Brian. Congratulations, gentlemen. Welcome to the freaking show, the full-time entrepreneurship life. If you want to be like Brian and Robert and leave your nine to five job within six to 12 months, we have got the community for you. We give you all the information you could ever need for free on this podcast. But if you want to be held accountable, you want to be around rock stars, you want to be around mentors that are $10 million plus, and you want to be rubbing elbows face to face with these guys, join the group, book a call in the show description, and I would be happy to chat with you. Without any further ado, let's get to the show. Neville Medora. What's going on, brother, man? Round What's two. What's going on, man? Thanks Good for to see me. you again. Yeah. Man, you guys threw an awesome event. You, Sam, Noah, and Nick. Y'all threw a yeah. great one, man. They talked about content and strategies for how to stand out in the noise, stand out from the crowd in 2023 for personal brands and businesses. I was up in the front yeah, hope- row taking notes, rocking and rolling, <laughs> man.
0: Yeah. Hopefully that was good. It was, we were all like buddies. And then I used to live next door to South by Southwest, like the main thing for like 10 years. Yeah. So I went whether I wanted to or not. And now I don't go to any South by events unless it's like a private event hosted by a friend. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that was one of the ones. It was awesome. It was great. Dude, there we go, man.
1: I like that. So because you're an online guy and you've been blogging for years and years, I've gone down so many different rabbit holes that I just had to stop myself. But man, I want to start like years ago, you posted that you're an entrepreneur and described by many friends as being a generally happy person and that keeps coming up in your writing over and over again it's just the concept of being happy and having fun while you're making money so yeah. i'd like to i'd like you to hit on that subject and then introduce yourself how you would describe yourself today
0: yeah i think if you're going to do something and there's two things that you have one's not fun and one is fun you're probably more likely to do the fun thing easier, right? Depending on what fun means for you. Warren Buffett finds a lot of fun in reading Q2 statements. So, Like that's his fun. So I would prefer that everything would be a win-win-win in life, where it's like my business, my work, my play is all the same thing. So I tell everyone, they're like, what do you do? I'm like, oh, of course, I'm known as like a copywriter or something. I'm like, I put around on the internet all day and somehow get paid. And mm-hmm. so when people always ask, if you had a trillion dollars, what would you do? My answer is, it probably just like browse Reddit a lot, <laughs> like I would post stuff on Twitter. It was, it was the exact same thing I do right now. So I think that's the ultimate when you can have fun doing making your money at the same time. And so I do try to focus on that if I can. It's not the only thing I'm willing to do hard stuff. But at the same time, if it's also fun, why wouldn't I do it?
1: Yeah, exactly. There's a quote that comes to mind where it's like the man that loves walking is going to walk further than the man who's aiming for a destination. Oh, that's Yeah. Nice.
0: Yeah, man. I'll do a little coffee too, brother. Yeah. GPT4 <laughs> G- 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 made that up for you? Is that <laughs> Yeah, yeah.
1: That was this is this podcast sponsored by ChatGPT. No, yeah. it was that's my entire philosophy, right? So it's like we have a lot of people come on here and we talk about passive income, right? We we've heard passive income. Tim Ferriss drove that into the freaking ground. We've been exploding that across the world for the last decade. In the last 20 years, is four-hour work week, passive income, passive income, how can I earn my freedom? Here's the kicker, and that's why I really value your perspective on this. We're 20 years deep into this whole financial freedom movement, and people are doing it. like They're doing the thing. So it's mm-hmm. like, okay, I have now replaced my income from my job with this new revenue source, whether that be real estate, online business, courses, whatever have you. And now they're like, Now what? What's the purpose? What's the point? What's next? And that's happened to me. I literally left my job and I went and traveled. I was sitting on the beach and I was like, okay, what's
0: next? Yeah. uh, So interesting question. And I think the answer is everyone just keeps doing work. There is no end to it. And I think people have to understand that maybe there is no end to work. You are a human being. And so long as we are still evolutionary, just human, right? Like we don't turn into computers that have different uh, prerogatives then we will continually have to work to feel useful. And I think I'll speak particularly as as a guy. I think you want to be useful. I think you want to be needed to some degree. And I think you want to help other people. And so I think it's just like you look at it like you're not going to retire. You're going to keep working and there will just be this additional stress after stress. And I think the trick is to not view it as a stress, but it's just like you're getting to do what you want. I don't know. I don't think too hard about it. I do get stressed about like thinking like, oh, I got to work more. I got to make this happen. But then the thing is once you get to a certain level, then you expect that level of lifestyle and you get to the next. And people call this like the the, the income treadmill, hedonic treadmill, whatever like that. But at the same time, I think it's important to have that. Like you want to keep striving for the next thing. I think it's important. So I remember Earl Nightingale had a good point. He's a lot of people think their jobs are killing them, but it's the only thing keeping them alive. And I truly believe that, like, you have to be doing work and striving for something and killing that next predator in order to be really happy. But that That's my perspective on it.
1: I 100% agree. And it's difficult for some people to listen to this conversation that are in the job that are doing something that they freaking despise. And they're like, OK, it must be nice for you guys. I know that once I'm out of this job, like, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be fulfilled. I'm going to have my sense of purpose. But you wrote a blog post like 10 years ago, and it was really good. I like what you said, where you said something to the tune of the purpose of life is little goals and big goals and the continuous pursuit of the next thing, no matter what.
0: And I love that point. Like name a person who stopped. There's no one that stopped. Yeah. And no, there's, there's always like some extra thing, some event you're looking forward to, something you're planning, something you're doing to your friends, something you're doing to your grandchildren. There, there is something else every time. So I don't know where this, I think it's been morphed into this thing. Oh, you got to work all the time. It's just, yeah, you got to work all the time. That, yeah. But you can either, you get to change your relationship with work by trying to figure out something you want to do. So I think like the person who, the person who doesn't like their job I feel like the world has said that's jobs work. If you read it slash anti-work or any of those kind of things that just complain about capitalism and their work, it's just like, maybe you did a bad job. Like, mm-hmm. like maybe take some self-responsibility for having that shitty job. Maybe you don't have a lot of skills that are that valued. Sometimes you have to take that hard look at yourself and be like, do I suck? Am I the one that's bad at things? And that's why people don't want to listen to me about it. Therefore, I have to work this crappy job. And so I think sometimes people have to reflect on themselves, not blame the system for it. I think there's a lot of blaming the system right now, and it's excusing people's just lack of ability. So
1: I completely agree. I think that the foundation is building income producing skills because people are talking about, oh, I'm going to save 90% of my income. I'm going to save every single dollar I've got so that one day I can be free. I'm like, Why don't we spend this energy and effort in producing income, producing skills, like being more valuable to the marketplace? That's like the prerogative that I've been preaching is how do you get better every single day? Because for instance, like I came from a background of B2B sales. So it's Mm -hmm. like, there's never going to be a point in in my life now where I can't produce income because I have a sales background and I learned the skill of sales. And yours is copywriting. So can you talk about the process and the importance of building really valuable and sought after skills?
0: There's two ways of looking at it, like being a generalist and then being niched down a little bit. And a lot of people come to me asking, like, should I niche down? Even in copyright, should I niche down to like B2B for dentists or something like that? I'm like, do you have experience with dentists? And they're like, no, I've never met a dentist in my life. And I'm like, so why? <laughs> I'm like why are you, I don't know why you would go to that location. They just, There's this overall sentiment that you're supposed to niche down right away. I would say that if you're just getting started, On something what you do is you do everything you're just a jack of all trades because you don't know what you're good at you don't know what you're bad at yet so you can quickly find out what you're bad at and you'll find out what you're good at by what people pay you for like the uh, like this sounds Mm. but like universe will tell you what you're good at by giving you money for it right so i remember when i was younger i was like doing a lot of web page stuff just building web pages and stuff and people came up to me and said can you build a web page for me and i would make the most amount i'd ever made like when i was in high school or college from building other people's web pages and i was like huh I think this might be the skill I'm the best at right now because people are like seeking it out and saying, I want you to build this and I'm going to pay you a lot of money. And so that's, I think the way to niche down. So copywriting, I didn't say one day I want to be a copywriter and put it on my LinkedIn and just say, Hey, I'm a copywriter. It was, I was actually running a business before and I learned about copywriting through some marketing friends. I read the the Gary Halbert Boron letters. I read those and I was like, holy shit, everything I've been doing for selling has been wrong. I've been doing it all wrong. Mm -hmm. I started applying copywriting to my own business. I owned a rave company at the time, selling drop shipped light up and glow stuff, like disco balls, glow sticks, that kind of thing. And I started doing copywriting to the email list that I was sending out. And all of a sudden I started making a lot more money. And I go, huh, maybe there's something to this copywriting thing. Then my buddy Noah Kagan was building AppSumo off my couch I started applying it to his thing too. That really took off and that became a thing. Then enough people were reading the AppSumo email list, which I was writing all of it at the time and before hiring all the copywriters to, to replace me. It was, they were asking me, why am I reading all your emails? I know you're trying to sell me something. Why am I reading this? And I'm like, I'm <laughs> the copywriting. and then they would have to explain it. Oops. And I was like, let me make a course about it. And then people would hire me for copywriting. So the world started throwing money my way as a copywriter. And then I said, I guess I'm a copywriter. That's how that happened right? And what copywriting means is just kind of optimizing things to make them a little bit better. And I have a decent eye for saying, huh, that part of the web page kind of sucks, right? Maybe you should just write that instead. That's what a copywriter does. And the world picks out your niche for you. You don't necessarily have to go pick out a niche right away. And so with having that specific skill of copywriting, what I always tell people, it's like the way of getting my foot in the door. Right. So I can say marketing, and I've tried that before. I'm like, copywriting is too specific. Maybe I should say like marketing ambassador or something like that. <laughs> it's too generalized. So someone brings me in for copywriting, and they're like, oh, we're getting advice about pricing. We're getting advice about strategies, how to pick the right email service and put it in all, blah, 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 all the kind of stuff. And so copywriting is a big, broad term for me, but it's just the easiest thing to get in the door with saying copywriter rather than just general marketer. So I chose copywriting as like my specific skill set because the world chose it for me. Everyone, it was socially proven that I am good at this because of people's dollars flowing to me.
1: I like that you started with the feedback from the market and the feedback from other people instead of just finding like, finding a solution that you figured that you would give it a shot at and then try to build a problem around it. Instead, you were like, okay, let me <laughs> view this as like a buffet style. And, that, and it sucks when you're giving people advice, which I do frequently on the show, and they're saying, what's my thing? because like we're in the age of information but if information was the answer we'd all be billionaires with six-pack abs and it's just like everyone is doing like oh i want to do airbnb i want to do self-storage i want to start an online business i want to be a copywriter i want to do this and it's just like there's thing after thing and the worst thing is you just have to try them like you have to taste the chicken a little bit and just be like all right hate that
0: hate that ah Oh, it's, it's coffee easy to writing. find out what you hate. It's hard to find out what you like because you haven't tried everything. There's a million Ooh, different, a good different jobs out there. And every single entrepreneur, I'm sure this is the same for you. Every entrepreneur I know that is successful now, when they were young, when they were 17, 18, 19 or something like that, have tried like 40 different business. I'm not even joking. Maybe 40 different small experiments. I used to call them experiments because I was always afraid to call it a business. Cause then I'm like, damn, I'm like, now I have to like make an LLC make it a real business. I was like, I'm going to try a bunch of crap. And most of them, I wouldn't say they failed, but a company called not a company. I started a website called FancyBlog.com where I just, just download all the different themes out there for WordPress and blogger and put it and put some AdSense on the side. That's it. And it made a few hundred bucks a month. And I was like, That worked, but then it started going down over time and I was putting more work into it than it was worth. And I was like, it didn't fail, but it didn't super succeed either, right? And so I was like, I know I like the blog part of that. I know, but just aggregating what other people had created already was not going to be like a gigantic business. It's not something I could sell because I'm just taking other people's work. But then I was like, wait, if I made my own blog theme and sold it for 30 bucks a pop, I'd actually make way more money than the AdSense. And so I started thinking like, oh, a digital product could be, that I own would be better. And so I think, was that a total failure? No, I learned a lot of things out of it. I did make some money, but I had like probably 20 plus things like that in the span of five or 10 years that I tried. And so did every entrepreneur I know before they found something. So you might hear like Brian Chesky of Airbnb started like some other company before, but you didn't hear about all the little other things he tried. There was like Mm -hmm. literally like tens of them. So I think a lot of people, they don't really start anything. So I would say, here's my advice. If you're a entrepreneur, start a bunch of small quote unquote experiments And if they fail, then you'd be like, oh, it's an experiment. Like experiments are designed to fail. That's the whole point of an experiment. Mm -hmm. I think some people are like, I'm going to be the coaching guy now. And then they have to stick to that. They put it out on social media. And then you pigeonhole into that. You pigeonhole yourself. And you're like, damn, I can't just give up because now everyone expects me to be doing this. Whereas if you just say, hey, I'm trying to experiment where I'm going to try to get to revenue by starting a blog about fitness in 60 days. Then it's just, there's a time frame on that and you'll either figure out if you like it, if you're good at it, or you suck at it, or it's worth continuing or not. So i say start a bunch of small experiments. That's my advice on this. I don't know if you asked that question, but that's what it is.
1: <laughs> yeah, dude, what the hell? It's a podcast. No, that was fantastic, yeah. man. What are, some, what are some good signs that you can pay attention for somebody that's listening and it takes that advice? What are some good signs that they could pay attention for in their body and in their mind? that are like, oh, like. I'm doing the right thing. Like I'm heading in the right direction with this thing.
0: This is a pretty I good it was trigger. It's easy for you and it's hard for others. Like building web page, I was like a nerdy kid in school and like I, I liked playing with web pages. Other people were like the internet and like you have to type in www. Like, these are like newbie questions to me, right? And I was like, oh, they were so far behind. I could tell. I'm like, I have superior knowledge on this subject than you do. And it's it felt silly to me because I'm like, you could just look all this stuff. up. It's not like I had some special access to knowledge, especially nowadays. You probably have the same access as a billionaire does, right? On YouTube, Twitter, whatever. And so when something seems very simple to you, but very difficult to others, that's a good sign that maybe you have something there. And then also that it's difficult to get that stuff done. So I think a lot of people will go into like health and fitness and they're like, I could help you get fit. But it's like, there's also like a bazillion other really good resources out there that you have to compete with. Right. So if you, but if you, like, I remember one client came to me and they sell every contract they have is like millions and millions of dollars. And they're in the train industry. And the train industry is like backwards. They're still sell, sending faxes and stuff. It's just, it's very blue collar, white, blue collarish, And it's just like really backwards, but there's a lot of money in trains and training. I don't know what the, <laughs> like trains and transportation and the amount of money they were selling each contract for was very surprising. And I remember thinking like, So the person that came to me just had a little bit more understanding of how to present their product than the other companies. It was all just like talk calls over the phone. I was like, what if you had people do a zoom call and we make a presentation for them? And they're like, that's a great idea. And I was like, that sounds so simple. But in that industry, that was a massively big advanced idea. So th- there are a lot of areas in the world where just people are way behind, but there's big dollars behind those. And if you come in with a little bit more expertise, skill set, you could really dominate that industry. So I'm always, there's always, you're always ahead of someone else, even though you may think you're not.
1: Yeah. There, I listened to a podcast episode with your buddy, Sam Parr and Dharmesh mm-hmm. Shah, who's the founder, co-founder of HubSpot. And he's talking mm-hmm. about the trillion dollar Venn diagram of success. And he was like, you need to have not just one rare marketable skill, but two or three rare marketable skills. Mm-hmm. When you combine them together, you're one in a billion.
0: So that's actually, that, that's a concept adapted from Mark Andreessen, the famous venture capitalist behind A16Z. And Mark Andreessen had a thing called triple threat. And so I've written about this a lot. I love that concept. It, it like transformed my life back in the day. And it's just like, you could either, you, let's say you're good at a couple of things. Okay, so I'm like decent at copywriting. But what I always tell copywriters, you have to be good at making images as well because transferring information is what copywriting is about. Sometimes just showing an image is better than a bunch of text. And then if you also be good at video, right? Now you don't have to be the best at copywriting. You don't have to be the best at images. You don't have to be the best at video. You just gotta be like 70% good at it, right? You You have to be able to put something out on WordPress for copywriting. You have to be able to use Canva and make an image or Photoshop, and you have to be able to use Camtasia or Descript or some crap to make a video and put it out on a social network, right? Such as YouTube. If you can do that, you're ahead of 90% of people. You are a triple threat. So if you're decent good at all of those things, that makes you very uniquely dangerous compared to other people that are like, I just know how to write words on a page. That's not a marketable skill anymore. There's this whole other world of social media and stuff that needs video, that needs images. And if you're good at a couple of those things, that'll push you really far. Why do you think people start with
1: all the other noise that doesn't matter. Why do you think people start with the 80% instead of the 20% to clarify? Instead of starting with the ideas and starting with the skills like you're talking about, what most people will do is spend two weeks looking up a domain name, trying to form an LLC, like <laughs> buying the website. Like, you know what I'm talking about? And people will be oh, like, yeah. oh, I just bought do this domain things. for this. I've got the best idea. I still
0: do it. And <laughs> it's, called playing, it's called playing business. That's what yeah. it is. It makes you feel like you're doing something. It really does seem like that too, because having, look, having a good domain is helpful, right? That is true. There is some basis in it that spending some time on these things can help. But a lot of people, what they do, I think that's wrong is they buy the domain. They're like, what is the website going to look like before they actually realize what problem they're solving. And I feel full empathy for these people because I was one of those for a very long time. I am still one of those. Guilty. Let me tell you how I combat it. The way you combat that is by actually talking to the people you plan on helping, not your friends, preferably strangers. So I, on my newsletter, get to interact with people over email, but I never get to talk to them. So last year, I started asking feedback about copywriting course where they found me, my content, to random people who never bought anything from me. People who bought stuff from me already like me. They, They... they tell me stuff I already know. Sometimes mm-hmm. talk to random people. I was like, "Why have you never bought my stuff?" And they're like, eh, you just, just, I, I don't I don't do, I don't do what you do." Or some people were like, "But you're not good enough." They'd say harsh things. I'm like, "Fair enough," but I would also ask them like, "What problem are you trying to solve?" And a lot of times my product just simply, they either didn't know or my product doesn't do what they needed to do, right? They work in a company and they just want someone to come in and give them advice on what their landing page looks like. They don't want a whole course and all that. And so I took those to heart. And so I was like, how can I solve those people's problems more directly? Because ultimately, your business is about solving a problem or creating some sort of transformation that people want. And they don't care about your domain. They don't care about what your website looks like. All those things are just very low on the totem pole of what people care about. You might see a service that's really good and have a great website. But was their very first website that great? Or over time, did they hire a designer and make made it look good, right? So they're actually solving a problem. I think that's very important. So a lot of people love playing business. These are want, what we call entrepreneurs, right? People who are playing a business, they're telling people about it. They're like, I think this is a cool idea. It's just like, you talked to the target customer at all? And oftentimes, you realize the reason no one's done your business is because no one wants that business. So yeah. like, if, for example, I always thought like something like insurance sales is like really boring and not your dream life necessarily, but everyone has insurance of some type, That's why there's so much money in that world. And so it's just like, you're solving a problem that people have to have solved. Like it's illegal to not have insurance if you drive. Right. So I always think like those types of businesses are good. They may not be the dream thing, but it's just like, look at what businesses solve the biggest problem. And you'll see that those are the biggest businesses. So a lot of entrepreneurs would be like, what if there was a pet rock that also talked to you? And it's just like, who wants that? It's not a thing that people are asking for necessarily. And then people reference like the iPhone. Steve Jobs and ask if anyone wanted an iPhone, it's okay. You weren't building a lot, like a very high technology. This is a different thing. You can't use the iPhone as an example here. So I think just like making sure that you are actually solving people's problems. And often the way that you know that you're doing that is that they're paying you for it. Mm -hmm. So if people are paying you to make clips on Instagram, a lot of money, and they're really, they're paying you more because they want it next month. You are solving a problem. You should probably go with that idea. But if no one's paying you for it, you can't find customers for it. That's a huge problem. Maybe you're just not solving a problem. That's out there.
1: Yeah, man. Multifaceted response for this one. But have you read The Mom Test? Yes. yes. Dude, I freaking love love that that book. Yeah, Yeah. I love that book. For people listening to Mom Test, it's essentially a book where it's talking about if you go ask your mom about your business idea, she's going to tell you how wonderful it is no matter how bullshit it is. And so you got to go get, actually get in front of customers, potential people that have the problem and ask them like what roadblocks are going, what are their, what obstacles they're facing. So that's what I did with my business is my thing is I help people in corporate America
0: transition into entrepreneurship. That's my jam. So. Have you ever tried this? I started doing, I, started, I mentioned these customer calls I was doing. I started doing my own customers. I said, if you buy a copywriting course right now, I'm going to like, just watch what you do as you log in. And I was watching where people get confused. I built Ooh. the product myself. So like the backend, the forum, all that kind of stuff, all the customizations. And so I know how it works, but then I watch people and they're like, there's like a tab that says media on it. Then there's a tab that says courses and there's a tab that says videos. And they're like, aren't these all three the same? What is the difference between media, video, course? isn't it all like, they, they were just very confused. And I was like, wow, oh, that's interesting. I never thought that was confusing for people because I see it every day. I'm in the box. And so I just started asking people like, what's confusing? And then just watching them log in and be like, you can just see the confusion in their eyes. They're like, what do I do? What's the first thing I do? And I was like, oh, I just, I, I never thought of it. So like the first thing I did was like, I made a guide video when you log in. And I was like, cool. I know what to do now. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, just ask the people, just watch them use your product. And it's quite nice. I got feedback from one of my buddies that's further down the road
1: than me. He's got a big social following and everything. He's done the thing and he's I was like, man, my my media is not my media is not growing, man. Like my audience isn't growing. What are we doing? What am I doing wrong? And this is a perfect transition from what we're talking about with product market fit and solving problems and addressing solutions and t- addressing customers to content, right? Because that's what you do with mm-hmm. copywriting. Is like, how do you convince somebody to take an action through words? And mm-hmm. so with my content, he was like, oh, that's easy, dude. It's because your content sucks. (laughs) And I was like, oh, oh. (laughs) thanks, man. And he's, yeah, who's who's the person that you're talking to, like, in your actual business? The person that you're talking to is the person that's in their corporate job looking to leave. He's like, who are you talking to on Twitter? You're talking to these multimillionaire entrepreneurs. He's, that's not the same person. You're not solving any problems. They're completely different problems. You say, here's how to make millions of dollars. That person that you're looking for is not trying to make millions of dollars. They're trying to get out of their six-figure salary.
0: I was like, oh,
1: yeah. I was like, okay. So then I was able to completely pivot and be like, okay, how can I improve my content? So now that's a major focus. So I'd love to dive down that rabbit hole with you.
0: Yeah, dude, let's do content because I've been doing content for a long time. and It's shifted in certain ways. In certain ways, it's the same thing. What's interesting is I started a YouTube, like totally inspired by Joe not inspired, ripped off from Joe Rogan. He started the whole podcast thing. It seemed the first big podcaster. I was like, I want to interview people and they'd be really awesome. I could build a studio and have people over. And I realized those videos didn't do as well as if I just sat down and be like, hey, it's Neville. I'm going to give you some copywriting advice. That Mm -hmm. did way better than I'm going to interview this random guy who runs a big company because people weren't as interested in this guy's like company as they were just me just giving them copywriting advice. And so I did a couple episodes of this and I was just like, one Interviewing people is very hard. It takes a lot of time, a lot of scheduling to find the right people and then do it week after week. And then here's the other thing. Once you make a piece of content, you got to promote it. So now I'm promoting someone else all the time. I'm talking them up and I'm actually not giving any copywriting advice to people or very little. And so I I learned a valuable lesson in that, like a similar thing of, wait, what are people coming to you? Copywriting advice. And what are you giving them? An interview with a guy who runs a workout company. And it's, but that's not the, that's not Uh, the, got it. Yeah. Yeah. And I also realized like frequency, I was trying to do it like every week. I think like back in the day with the old algorithms, it used to be like, if you just put stuff out every day, they reward you. That is not really true anymore. Algorithms are far more advanced than that and they reward good content. So on TikTok or really any platform, you could technically have a viral video as your first video on a channel if it's really good. Mm-hmm. Before that wasn't possible. You had to just post all the time. And so I think that's the new thing of just like what's What's the combination of what is the audience really want to do? What do you really want to do? And what can you consistently put out all the time? I thought. So let's walk through a customer journey here because there's a lot of people
1: that listen to my show, and now we and this started as more of a real estate show, and it transitioned into an entrepreneurship show. So we got a lot of guys that are on here that are doing massive things in business, and you and I both know a lot of people that are doing huge things in the shadows, but they could be even like bigger if they built a brand around it. And they just talked about what they're doing. Because Sam says, it's just do interesting shit and document it. So if you were to give advice to somebody that is already doing like good stuff, they're already building businesses and everything, they're looking to start their own brand. How would you go about that? Would you start with multiple different channels or would you focus on one channel to build audience and then branch off of that?
0: to answer the question, I'd probably start with the channel you're natively on the most. So if you're Mm. always on Instagram, probably do Instagram. If you're always on Twitter, like I'm always on Twitter. So Twitter is probably like a bigger focus. The answer would be all of the above if you could pull it off. But that obviously there's a time constraint. There's a lot. So if you're just getting started, I would start with one platform just because it'll keep you sane. The other thing is, do you want to build a personal brand? Some people, I don't think everyone's fit out for it. Like a lot of people say, you can do it. You can put yourself out. I don't think that's totally true. I think there's a thing called the 90-9-1 rule on the internet. And it states that any public platform 90% of the people just lurk and never post. 9% of the people sometimes participate, maybe leave some comments, post a little bit. 1% of the people create most of the content. Mm. And I think that's true. And I think it's crazy to say that everyone can be some sort of influencer. They are not. They are not that interesting. They are not that interested in doing it and I don't think it's something that they natively do for years. I've been posting online publicly since 1998 or something like that. Would I probably qualify for someone who could do this? Yes. The person who's been private their whole lives and never wants to talk about anything, I don't know that they have the aptitude to do it. I don't know if they want to do it. They don't want to post all their stuff out there. So I, I would say, is it a thing you naturally do and want to do for the next five years or a lifetime? I don't know. Do you think everyone's capable of doing it? I don't think so. I guess I was more so phrasing
1: it in the context of somebody that is doing that and now is actively trying to create an online brand. And they're saying, oh, okay. like Mm -hmm. I'm on board, like I'd like to do this. Like I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm doing interesting things in business. How do I document this and package it the best way to build an audience?
0: Yeah. So if you're just going to start dabbling in it, I would say get on the platform of your choice and just create Mm -hmm. a schedule to start posting I personally get a little bit of anxiety still like posting on Twitter and stuff sometimes. Sometimes I don't, sometimes I do. And the way I combat that is I schedule tweets, right? So every day I have a schedule three, I think all hype fury, but there's a billion different schedulers, buffer, et cetera. And so I do that. So if you could put out content continuously for a year, I'd say that's the first step. Let me give you an analogy of what I tell copywriters. People are like, I want to become a copywriter. What should I do first? What should I learn? I'm like, write three blog posts and come back to me. And almost every single time they can't even write three blog posts. They realize they don't like it. And they and then I'm like, oh, so you didn't actually want to be a copywriter. You saw some video and wanted to be a copywriter. Mm-hmm. So I think for a lot of people, just getting out there and trying it and being like, This is not what I want to do. I think a lot of people will drop off really quick. So I would say, Can you publish something every day for a year? It doesn't have to be a video. But something like a tweet, or if it's Instagram, can you just start posting three times a week? Can you do that and keep up with it? If not, maybe it's not for you. That's what I would say. I would just try to eliminate the people that want to do it, but won't.
1: Have you heard the concepts of light versus heavy? No. So this goes back to what you were talking about when it's like, you know, like leaning into your aptitudes. So it's for me, like I had a coach one time tell me about the concepts of light versus heavies. Okay. When you're like thinking about a task or an action, does it feel light? Do you spring out of bed and you're like, oh. Okay, I'm excited to do this thing. Or does it feel like you're like dragging an anchor behind you and it's just like weighing you down and you're procrastinating? It doesn't necessarily mean hard or easy because like I do a podcast every single day, like every day for a year, I, I do a podcast and it feels very light for me and I love it. Because this is my favorite medium. And I found that by dabbling through all the different mediums. But I actually started in writing and I transitioned to this. I hate video. (laughs) Video feels really heavy for me. But of course, now we have to do video to just play ball. And so that's been my journey throughout the entire process. And it's been now I'm going back to writing because I realized I was just like, my Twitter and everything was just a Frankenstein's monster of randomness. (laughs) And so I was just like, okay, let me actually put effort into this. So now it's turned into as a business owner with my course and with my community, which we can get into copywriting course here as a pivot and transition. I realized from a promotional side, I've been doing paid ads and paid media. And that's so expensive and ineffective that I'm like, it's much more effective for me to take hours of my day and just really put my head down into copywriting and do the threads, work on the hooks, work on attention grabbing. So I'd like your opinion on that about paid versus organic when it comes to content creation, when in context of generating eyeballs for business.
0: Yeah. So the combination of both is the best. Do that. You take your top performing content, you sponsor that, right? Or you pay that or you pay for that to boost it. However, there is like a number. Does it cost you $20 to acquire one customer? If so, and you're spending like, let's say $1,000 a week. Instead, if you spent that time money on creating content that could potentially be long lasting content, is that a better, is that a better use case? So I would say like right now that ad prices are quite high through a lot of the networks. Maybe some of the networks like Twitter are still pretty low, but I'm not sure that quality of traffic is there yet. So I would say creating content is probably the best way to get your brand out there because it lives on and you keep creating an asset. So I put out one Instagram reel per day. And what that does is it creates a, an asset for me. So people are going through my reels and they scroll, scroll, scroll. And on day one, it was only one. And then day two, it was two. And now we're on day 90 or whatever. And now there's 90 things for me to scroll through. So there's probably at least three of them that are really viral, probably mm-hmm. 10 of them that are really good. The rest are like probably okay. Okay. And so you're building an asset over time. And then what you do is you take those top reels that you get that are really viral and you promote those and use those to promote your email list. So I think a combo of that is probably the best, but to get started, the cool thing about content is that you just create it and it lives on forever and could potentially blow up later. Whereas paid ads, once you turn off the money, the traffic stops right away. So I would start with content, I would say, and you can turn that into paid ads. That's my favorite way to do it.
1: Yeah. And you have a really fast feedback loop. Also, it's like the fastest feedback loop. That's why I'm learning more about Twitter now is you can go on Twitter or TikTok and you can immediately see how people are engaging with it. Like you can see on a video you're like, oh, after two seconds, they dropped off like 95%. That means you suck. Like your hook sucks.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, It's it's really difficult. It used to be back in the day. It's like you could find that someone searched a certain term, found your website and signed up to the email and Mm -hmm. then bought something after opening four emails. Like it was pretty simple to see that. Now it's like someone saw me seven years ago on a podcast and heard about me a couple times on Twitter and then saw me somehow on a LinkedIn video and then signed up there. Like the customer journey is so convoluted now, like no two are the same. They are very different. So I think plastering all the different channels is probably the best way to go. But I'd say if you're starting and you have constrained resources and time, really try to dominate one channel that you enjoy, right? So if you really like Twitter, go really hard on Twitter. If you get 100,000 followers, then what you could do is say, I'm also on Instagram, and then Mm -hmm. transfer everyone over. It's easy to do that. It's very difficult to dominate every single platform all at the same time, unless you have help doing it. If you have an agency doing it, that's different. But doing them all at the same time is very difficult. So I would say focus on one. So my particular focus at the moment is generally Twitter. And so I post a lot of stuff on Twitter. And then what happens is I call this cascading content. I just focus on posting a bunch of crap on Twitter, but preferably copywriting focused I generally don't veer into politics or anything like that. And then I post that on my newsletter. And then I take the banger stuff from the newsletter and I turn those into videos. And then the videos turn into clips. So everything cascades into each other, but it all starts from just having an active Twitter feed. So I don't, I contribute to every single social platform by just participating in Twitter.
1: Yeah, and it's called the flywheel, right? So it's just mm-hmm. now that I'm doing it like this, it's like it's finally clicked for me to where before it was just haphazard and I was just posting whenever I thought of something randomly throughout the day. I didn't have any time like set to just sit, think, and iterate. And somebody that does this really well is Justin Welsh on Twitter. So mm-hmm. that's his entire jam. And it's, he's got multi eight figure business built off of just literally him tweeting and posting on LinkedIn. And so now it's been like, I see that, I post something, I see this gets better engagement than this. Oh, that's an interesting thought. Can I make that a video? Can I turn that into a thread? Can I turn that into a newsletter? And so it's been an interesting
0: flywheel. And on that, I want it to use that sucks as a in s- the beginning. Huh? Sorry, go ahead. Go on. It also sucks in the beginning because sometimes you like tweet yeah, or you like you post and no one sees it, <laughs> and you're like, well, that's discouraging, mom. You're not <laughs> even gonna like it. <laughs> yeah. So that is the sucky part about getting started. You start, you got to start from somewhere. And that's how it all starts. When I first started tweeting, it was probably 2 and 12. I started a Twitter account. And I think I would just, it was just like a spam feed of my blog. And so just like post links. So that's not a good Twitter feed. And then when I started tweeting, there there was not that many active followers following along. So it was just like, what's the point of this? And like after a few weeks, I could always expect to get one or two likes. I was like, hey it's not zero. That's something. And then after a few more months, it was just like, oh, I can normally expect to get 10 likes on a good post. And then like maybe two likes on a bad post. And then that range started moving forward and forward to where I can expect probably 10 likes on a bad post and hundreds of likes on a good post. So it it keeps expanding over time, but it is a function of sticking with it and being good. Theoretically, you could be really good and just go off to the races and there are some examples of people doing that but it is very rare most likely your favorite creator has been creating for 10 plus years that's how you get good like, yeah. that's how you do it
1: you just there was a clip of ed sheeran he was talking about like writing music and it's the same thing as like writing music he was like you just start playing and you have to get the shit out of you first it's, like, it's gonna be terrible <laughs> He's like, It's gonna sound awful it's not gonna have any sense to it he said like, you got to get it out of you so that the good stuff comes and it's like you got like the muddy water running and now all of a sudden it starts flowing clear. And I was just L- like, was, oh. Lil,
0: Lil Wayne was on like this old Letterman interview and he gave this yeah. funny quote where David and Lil Wayne's all high and stuff like that. Yeah. And David Letterman's like, how many songs have you written? You have a lot of singles out. You got four singles out. He's probably written about a million. And everyone laughs because it's like a funny joke. He's like, a million. He's like, yeah, I've written a million songs. And he's like, Are you talking literally a million? He's like, I sit in my bus for 18 hours a day and just get producer, send me stuff. And I write, just I rap to them and I probably do something like 50 to 80 a day. And I've been doing that since I was 11 years old and he's 30 or whatever. I don't know. And you're doing the math and you're like, Oh, he may have written, I I don't know, maybe not a million, but like hundreds of thousands of quote unquote songs of recordings. And you're like, Holy shit. So his hit rate is actually like 0.00002. Or something like that, right? Some abysmally low number, but he's recorded just a tremendous amount of songs that most people can't even fathom, right? So some people will be like, "I released two CDs. How come I'm not famous?" It's you released sixteen songs though. Okay. This guy did eighty songs yesterday. So you start to see. You're like, oh, interesting. Me and my friend Noah were talking about bands that we like. Bands that have been around for decades. I'd say like U two, Coldplay, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Green Day. All those bands have thousands of songs actually that they never released. And they've mm-hmm. only released and they've released hundreds of songs, and all of them only have like up to eight or ten hits. And so the hit rate is extremely low for even the most worldwide known professionals that you know of. So it's like, how would you be any different? So yeah. I'd say my hit rate's extremely low, but it's just like if you just keep pushing out enough, you have hits. Yeah. Ten year overnight success. Yeah.
1: <laughs> over and over again, man. I wanna I wanna talk a little bit, I wanna hit a little bit more about the actual art of copywriting and why it's important and why people i think everyone should learn something about copyright not everyone needs to be a copywriting expert but i feel like copywriting as a as an art form will help everyone with their business to a degree and then i want to go into we can close it out with the whole like your course and online courses in general and how they translate while you can travel around and do whatever you want while you're yeah. making revenue literally <laughs> i want to use this quote as a as the intro to your copywriting you 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 talked about it a little bit before, but when you took over Noah's emails, so Noah had AppSumo, Noah Kagan's coming on this podcast in about a month. And so he's got this company where he sells apps on this market, marketplace website. And so he was putting out emails, not getting that great of a response rate. And then talk to us about
0: font (laughs) horse. Talk to (laughs) us about font horse
1: Because that's hilarious. uh,
0: I don't know if this company exists. I doubt it anymore. It's called Kernis with a K. And basically it was a deal that Noah was promoting on AppSumo, which is a side project of his at the time, right? Yeah. Noah's very good at marketing. So he had something like 50,000 emails, which most people would kill for. He was just, as a side project, he had that many. He was re- sending out these emails for grasshopper.com, being like, like, which is a phone tree service. And he's like, 25% off a year subscription. That was like his whole email. And people were buying, but it wasn't like crazy. And so I started doing copywriting on my own rave company at the time. And I was like, dude, you should really tell people why they should buy this, which almost seems obvious in retrospect. And so there was a thing called Kernest, which is a font matching service. And I was like, who would buy a font? What people pay for this? Turns out designers are really into which fonts go with each other. And it's a very, it's like a subtle art and this guy's good at it. And he sends out six font fairs per month. That's it. That was a service. It was like 25 bucks a month. And a decent amount of people were subscribed to this. And I was very impressed. I was like, wow, that's crazy. But I'm like, if you are a designer, this is a nice thing to have. And so I was like, okay, it's only going to be designers that buy this. Like there, no one in the world is ever going to buy this except some by designer. And so I was like, if I whisper the words, in "Serif" and your knees go weak, you might be a font whore or something like that. And I probably would not use the word whore nowadays. I'm probably a font boy or something like that. But it was a different time. It's 2012. So it was a few years ago. A little more permissible. Still not great then, but it was funny. And so we also talked about Steve Jobs' obsession with fonts, right? He would call designers up. There's all these stories about him calling designers up at three in the morning and be like, why the fuck is this a serif font and not a sans serif font? And he'd just be so pissed at it doesn't look right. And it's like if you can relate to that kind of obsession about fonts, this is probably for you. And if you don't relate to those two things I just said, that, just skip this. And I actually told people, I'm like, you just close this email right now. You're not gonna like what we have to say after this. And so
1: this is in the beginning. Was- this is in the opening. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And keep in mind, like Noah was a little nervous to send this out. He's like a crazy email that I that I sent out to, I think we only sent it out to maybe 10,000 people to test at the first, but it was the absolute first 10,000 revenue day. And so we're both just like, whoa, that I didn't even expect it to work that well. And so as a side project that was bringing in just a little bit of money, that was a great thing. And it's also, especially for such a weird product, right? It wasn't even a good product or like a widespread product. And so that's where copywriting was like identifying the actual target market, getting their attention. So saying if Lucidia sans serif or whatever catches your eye, and only like a font person would understand that reference, right? Most Mm -hmm. people wouldn't even know what I'm talking about. Catching their attention telling telling them why buying this product for a year would be helpful for them and then getting them to take an action and it worked extremely well and that's what copywriting was right so if so someone that was a non copywriter such as noah he was very good at marketing but just like the copywriting aspect was not good he was just saying buy this kurnest deal and what happened is if you sent when you send that out before when he sent it out before it just didn't do anything because people didn't know it didn't before. land So as a copywriter, your job is to explain, not trick them into buying, but explain to them why this would make their life better. And it was a weird way to get people's attention, but that's the way I chose to do it. And that was the first attempt at a, not my own company that I did copywriting for. And it worked extremely well. We did another one to test if it was a fluke. People loved it. People loved it. People loved it. And what we're doing was essentially sending out content, right? We We were doing content marketing, like these letters would go viral on their own right? And so people would, and they also were a sales pitch at the same time, which is doubly good for something to go viral. Mm-hmm. So that's how I got started with copywriting. And the reason that copywriting is so good is like the only thing we changed on those emails was the words. We didn't even use images back then, which now we use heavily used images. But the only thing that was changed was the words in the page. And it resulted in extra zeros. And so that was like, oh, wait, this is probably the best bang for your buck you could do for your stuff. So if you're selling something one way and you just change the words around, you're not changing your server architecture, you're not changing program, whatever, any expensive changes. You're just changing what's on the page, just Mm -hmm. text. That's really easy and it makes a huge difference. So that's when I was like, oh, this could be powerful. This could be powerful for a lot of companies. And so that's why with, with Copywriting Course, a lot of people think like we train people to become copywriters as like a paid gig. That's probably like under 20% of the people join for that reason. Most people, 85% or so of people in Copywriting Course are joining because they have a product they're already selling, an existing service or product. And they want extra set of eyes on it to be like, how, what can I do to better market this? I have an email list, but no one's responding. Why are they not responding? And so then we go in our... They post in our forum, our writers like market. It up and this is why this email sucks. Here's how you make it better. They send it out. And they're like, Holy crap, I got the most responses I ever got. Or every week on Thursdays, I just get on the call with people just like this, except over Zoom. And we just go punch up eight different people's copies each time. And so that's why I think that's why people are attracted to copywriting without changing anything substantial on your website, on your online stuff. You can completely change the results by just changing the way the words are shaped, which is awesome.
1: That's insane because when you think about all the different levers that we go, like we benefit for backwards. We do like somersaults and cartwheels to try to do a 10 X in revenue. And then you're like, whoa, we just 10 X this day. Like just because we changed the words in an email. <laughs> like,
0: Essentially. And also that's like a dramatic change. I don't want to promise everyone that, but what you can expect is that, Here's the thing. Your webpage consists of several different pages usually. So it's a product page, an about page, a homepage, perhaps some ads, perhaps some emails that might be 12 emails in a row that people are getting, right? So if you make each one of those like 5 or 10% better, that starts to compound over time. You have 5% conversion better on an email, 5% extra conversion on a sales page, 5% conversion extra on a product page. All those things start compounding into a lot like you get... Now you have 3x more revenue on something. So that's what's... That's the that's probably a more boring story than you change one email, you 10X overnight. But even companies that can't do that right away, that just aren't gonna get a 10X email increase in revenue from an email, if you improve every step of your process, it gets better and better. And just imagine every day there's, let's say 100 people coming to your webpage. If you boost conversion rates, you know, 10% higher, That 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 means extra customers every single day. And then you make your about page a little bit more readable. You make your product page a little convert a little bit better. And that starts increasing the amount of conversions, customers, and stuff you get every single day. So that stuff's very important. And that's what we focus on, just improving each and every piece of marketing you send out. Yeah, and
1: you say that, and then where my brain goes is it's like, The micro actions that yield the macro results, because yeah, it's like maybe you're approving conversion by 1%, like 1.5% on a landing page, on a sales page, on anything. But then what if that, when you start pouring gasoline on the fire, what if that yields like an extra $100,000 of revenue at the end of the year? And then all of a sudden, when you're looking at your multiples of your business, five years, 10 years down the road, and you've done these 1% improvements each and every time, now, all of a sudden, that's turned into millions of dollars of business equity that didn't exist before just because you didn't make little 1% small tweaks.
0: It makes sense in like looking back at it in retrospect. A lot of people are like, why didn't I do this before? Yeah. They're pouring a lot of money into an ad and you're just like, the page isn't optimized at all for anything. Yes. Spending money to just optimize each and every page that you put out to the world is very important. Also, if you're spending time like posting social media, a lot of people come to us to say, I, I'm trying to get bigger on LinkedIn, but people aren't responding to my stuff. Why not? Then we take a look at it and it's just like a long rambling post with no call to action at the end. And you're like, that's the reason. And the, as stupid as that sounds, it's, like I do that too, because what's happening, you get in the box like you see your own posts all the time. You see your own pages and you never see it from fresh eyes. So myself and other writers and other people in the community will look at it and be like, Oh, I know why I know why. And it's all the same answer. A lot of times, just having people look over your stuff is extremely valuable. The other thing that with copywriting that people get, get confused, it's not just the words on your page. For example, we're looking at some guy who runs a directory service and he has different pricing on there. And his initial pricing page was extremely confusing. It was, there was like 49.76. He's using the little dots, a little yeah. Walmart type pricing. And then it's, it listed out all these different things that you get, but then there's another plan and he called it like the rookie plan versus the Bishop plan. And you're like, the hell does that mean? And he thought it was clever, but to everyone else, it was confusing. And so we're just like, what if you just put, two different pricings and say this and the professional one had this plus these two things. It's just much easier. And the conversions went up because people knew what to buy. Whereas before people were like, what should I buy? I'm confused. And so copywriting could also just be like eliminating a bunch of shit, taking off the 47.99, just making it 47, Uh, eliminating the 90 different things that you get and just putting the three main things people want. That kind of thing. A lot of times just elimination of stuff too. That's my actually my favorite where you don't have to change any content. I'm just like, get rid of all of that. That's all we need to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. How can we say this in 80% less words?
0: Or think about like your brain has to do like brain cycles. Of, it's kind of like a computer. It has to spend time like interpreting things. How can we make people's brains just like they see it and they're like, yeah, I got it. I got it. Like a stop sign. Like you see it and you understand. Oh, that means stop. You don't have to be like, hey, this is a stop sign. You don't have to read anything. You don't have to do anything. You just see a stop sign and you instantly know. How can we get someone to instantly click like what you're trying to do? That's our goal. Love it, man. So where can people find out more about you and more about Copywriting Course? Yeah, so CopywritingCourse.com, easiest. But there's a sign-up form over there. If you go to CopywritingCourse.com, sign up your name and email, you'll get my Swipes email, which goes out every Friday. It's probably the most popular thing I've ever done, I'd say by far. That that has grown really quick, and a lot of people read it. And also, we just send you basically all these really cool copywriting tips. People say my email list is the best they've ever read. I hope that's true. I just hopped on. Oh, appreciate it, man. And then also, I tweet a bit, at NevMed, or you just type in Neville Medora and find me over there. And then on copywriting course, I also have all the links to LinkedIn, Instagram. I have an agency that cuts up my clips and the clips have been working really well. And we post them on pretty much every platform. I prefer Instagram and YouTube for viewing them. So I have a YouTube channel. We have like something around 90,000 subscribers or so. And you can see all the YouTube shorts that we put out. And those are actually really good. I've been really (laughs) enjoying... I'll watch my own shorts sometimes, which I guess (laughs) is an indication of quality. Yeah. So Big humble guy. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Get on the newsletter, follow on the socials, Instagram, all that kind of stuff. Not Facebook as much. That's died out a little bit. <laughs> so, sure. But yeah, Instagram and Twitter, I'd say the main ones.
1: Sweet. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to learn how to do better copywriting, get more conversions, more sales, just be better. Just be better today. 1%. <laughs> Go check out get the better, course. Yeah. Go check out the course. And with that, that has been Brian and Neville with The Action Academy Podcast. Signing off, baby.